Welcome to another episode of Fred Buzz the Podcast. My name is Joe McMurray. And I am Aaron Sefcik. And today we have the keyboard synthesizer player from Papadocio, Billy Browse, is joining us from Asheville, North Carolina. For our audience, I, uh, I went and saw Papadocio performing in Virginia Beach, I don't know, two, three months ago um, at a newer venue called Elevation 27. And I was front row and had a blast and a half. And uh, I've actually performed there before and I knew where the band had to exit the building. And I snuck around back after the show and waited for somebody to come out. And uh, Billy happened to be the first guy that walked out and uh, snagged him up. And yeah, we're excited to have you and to talk about, you know, keys and synthesizers and Papadocio and the jam band scene and festivals and all of it. All right, man. Well, I, I'm. I want to say I'm. I'm glad I'm the one that you caught, and you should be glad too. Because <laughs> I like to think of myself as the most fun. The most. The most fun person in the band. Yeah, and none of them will watch this, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I can say that. Yeah, we don't have to edit that out. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Who's the most boring person in the band? Um, it's your brother, probably. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't know your. I don't know Sam, so I, he may Sam, be. Sam, I'm I'm actually the most boring person. Just depends on when you catch me, I think. And you caught me at the right time. But getting off stage energy is always, always a good time to catch someone. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Well, um, so we uh, on this show we love to really dig into, um, you know, deeper ideas of music and. Uh, one thing I want to just jump right into is we we've had we had one of the managers from the Moog factory in Asheville came on um, and we've talked about synthesizers more from a technical standpoint, but we've not really had a piano player, have we, Aaron? Uh, not that I know of, no. Yeah, so would love to talk about, I guess the best place to start is just when did you start playing music? Was piano your first instrument? Um, yeah, let's go from there. Um, well, that's that's actually a really good place to start because I I did not play piano originally. Okay. Um, I played acoustic guitar. Hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, I was that kid around the campfire playing Jack Johnson or Dave Matthews. Right. You know, just because uh, it it was fun. Um, I guess I actually started playing cello first. All right. Um, but you remember, like in elementary school, when you were, hey, you can join an orchestra. Like, do it. Why not? And your parents were like, Yeah, you're doing this. So <laughs> I did it. And then I eventually turned the cello this way. I started yeah. playing. It was like 1994 when Green Day's hit album Dookie came out. Mm-hmm. And so I just turned it this way and started playing like power chords on the cello and then realized that I was just playing guitar for the most part. Um, you needed so, a man to cello. Yeah. <laughs> would have been perfect. Yeah. Uh, so I started playing guitar instead. And then my younger brother, Sam, I like taught him how to play a couple chords and, you know, he's pretty much my best friend in the universe. So we, he teaches me things, I teach him things. Taught him how to play guitar. Then he just, out of nowhere, just was amazing at the piano. My grandmother bought him a Yamaha 
uh, digital stage piano. And he just went in the basement and went to town on it for like a year straight. I probably didn't see him for months. And then he came out of the basement and was like, hey, I play piano now. So he taught me how to play a couple songs. Uh, and then I realized that you can make whatever sound you want on synthesizers and keyboards. So I kind of stopped playing as much guitar and just started making sounds uh, and samples. Because it, 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 it's just, it was, it was very freeing. Yeah. Um, to finally know what that sound was like in the yes like I, I grew up listening to yes um, I never really knew what that sound was that was happening and then mm -hmm. I finally you know once you figure it out it's like oh cool well this is what I'm doing forever now. Do you, how that did you jump like straight to more synthesized sounds or did you play like clean piano I mean keyboard piano whatever but <clears throat> well I played I I, I I got the fundamentals on piano and then I mean the story of how Papadocio basically formed is from me buying my first synthesizer in Athens, Ohio and I met Anthony at a party and I was like, hey man, uh, I've seen you playing and bands around town i just bought this synthesizer uh uh maybe maybe we should hang out sometime and he's like cool what is it i was like it's a juno 106 i got it for 150 dollars, which is insane and it was great he's like oh cool i'm about to buy one out of the classifieds tomorrow i was like no no i bought it <laughs> like this oh. is it and he's i i like to think that he wasn't using me just for that synthesizer <laughs> but that was that was my first synth experience was there, and Anthony and I dove into it, and uh, and he was playing yeah. guitar then. I mean, yeah, yeah. primarily guitar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was playing lead guitar in a couple bands in town, but uh, once I like pushed the cutoff on that Juno, I was like, oh, all right, well, this is that's it. But yeah, before that, it was just piano but, and acoustic guitar for the most part. You said when you push the cutoff on the Juno, what does that yeah. mean? So the cutoff is the the filter. Mm -hmm. um, it cuts off. It the well, Juno has a high pass filter and a low pass filter. Once I push the low pass filter up, which is the you know mm -hmm. sound. I was like, that's it. You know, uh, once you make that first, because it, it, you can, you can just using a filter, if it's a, if it's the right filter on the right synthesizer, you can make it sound however you want. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like, uh, if you're playing guitar, um, like finger picking, uh, gently, you know, like just plucking the strings more gently. It'd be like pulling the filter down. Okay. Kind of. Uh, and I never knew that you could do that. I mean, you can do it on piano if you play gently, but this was a, an electronic instrument. And before I touched the cutoff, I just thought it was just like this big box with keys on it, you know? Um, huh, yeah, I've 
unfortunately, I've never had like a real synth. I've got my little Yamaha keyboard over there that you might be able to see. Mm-hmm. It's just like that, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. It's the old Hell school yeah. PSR two eighty two. It's it sounds terrible, but it whatever it man. Fine. It puts sound out. Yeah, it definitely does that. It sounds cool if you hook it up to like a an external reverb tank or something with some effects on it. Everything but, sounds good through a bunch of reverb. That's true. Which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. So. Yeah, I'd love to get my hands on. I got to play some of the Moogs at the factory and like enjoyed myself playing like the chameleon bass line on one of those. That's, and- that's actually the first song Sam taught me how to play. Uh, that's that's on perfect. piano. And now I only play in in B. Well, my favorite key is B flat. Yes, of that. Ah, it's it is so simple and such a good baseline. Yeah, and you can just tee off on it. It's great. Yeah, as soon as you play that, like I played it last night at my show. As soon as you start playing that line, people, people right. in their heads like, "Oh, I know this song. I don't know what it is." Mo- like most people don't know what it is, but they love it. Herbie Hancock. He's a Master, still oh, a master. Sure. Are you? Do you listen to a lot of Herbie Hancock? Not really. It just seems like one of those first, like early. I mean, Headhunters. I listen. I have it on vinyl. Like I listen. I'll put it on. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those that I've listened to so many times that it can just be like NPR, you know, in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome that you, uh, your brought your younger brother's the one that brought you around to the to the keys yep um what well, he exactly? went Go ahead. he went to school he's like a uh he went to skidmore up in new york mm-hmm. um for jazz theory ah. uh but then dropped out as any good jazz musician musician does i, I would i would hope i kind of did that <laughs> yeah there you go uh, and join the band. My mother wasn't too happy about it. But I think she's okay with it now. But, yeah. yeah, things turned out pretty good for him, it seems like, yeah, so far. I hope so. Yeah, dra- I remember somebody, one of our professors uh, at George Mason in the jazz program, he, he told us, like, if you want to be a jazz musician in New York City, go to New York City and be a jazz musician. It's like, you, you, probably, you probably don't Neat, have to be in class here with me. Just go and learn from, find the best players and play with them. I mean, there's only so much any, uh, again, I have never taken like a jazz, I've taken music theory, but not like jazz theory. But it seems to me like any lesson I've ever given ended in that. Oh, is that what you want to do? Why don't you just go do it? What are you doing here with me? I can't. Yeah. It's, it's helpful to understand it all. I, you know, when I'm improvising over, if somebody puts a chord progression, like take Chameleon, the B flat minor seven to an E flat seven, you know, you just know your options of what you can do to improvise over it and so that you can keep it interesting. You don't run dry from ideas. Right, right. No, I'm the same. Once you know that, though, there's like a whole other headspace that you have to get into to be able to improvise in front of people. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, just doing it. 
and just don't stop doing it. I'm talking about like when you're actually playing a show, like rather than sitting there thinking about the theory, you have to be able to get into a a totally different mindset. Can you expand um, on that? I, maybe it's just more of like the whole lifestyle that like, if you want to be a jazz musician or any musician at all, no one can teach you um, how to be able to live that life. I think that's what I'm, what I'm saying. That's very true. You have to play a lot of, you have to put, you know, specifically practice jazz, listen to jazz. Also see how long you can be uncomfortable on tour and if you can last <laughs> until you're comfortable then you did it when, way to go kind of do you do you guys did you have a period where you were touring and you were not comfortable with Papadocia? just physically uncomfortable like you know five shows a week six shows a week in a van ah you know what I mean? that's what i'm talking about sleeping on floors and you do you know. guys still have to do that? Or do you have... Dude, I'm 34. There's no way I could do that. <laughs> when I was like 22, it was great. But yeah, no. definitely not sleeping on floors anymore. You got, what, a hotel room? Or do you have, like, do people house you? Um, Yeah, hotel room for the most part, yeah. That's a little, a little fancier than the van. Yeah. There's something... So nostalgic about floor sleeping that was always fun so how old were you when you met anthony thog martin uh 22 23 okay 22 21 somewhere in there i was in college so. mm -hmm. and you were both in ohio yeah, we were all in Athens, Ohio. Okay, so can you keep going with the story? Like, where did you got Anthony to play with you? Can you, how did the band become Papadocia from there? Uh, well, there was a, there was this bar slash venue called Jackie O's. It's still there in Athens. Um, and they had this thing called an open jam, which is like open mic. I'm sure you've been to an open jam. And uh, I, we just all kind of started playing together there. Um, you picked up other, like, bass player and drummer at the jam? Kind of, yeah. Like, they showed up. Every Mike, our drummer, was in this band called Skeleton Witch, who's, like, a huge amazing uh black metal band now like uh -huh. they're, they're from athens too so he showed up and played he can play anything he's he's unreal uh he showed up one night and anthony and i were like kind of looked at each other like during uh, you know during the the jam where there's no rules and like and uh so we ended up talking to him after, uh, and then Rob was in a uh, couple bands in Athens. Um, 
again, Rob's he just showed player. up. Yeah, the bass player. Uh, and then he just showed up one night and played, and it all just kind of clicked. And then so we just kept going every Wednesday, and all of us would show up, and it just kind of became a thing. And you and, were you were playing original music, or were you like that Anthony sang, or was it? No, it was just all improvised uh, instrumentals, pretty much. I mean, most of it was probably really bad, but you know, like we were having fun and it clicked and a bunch of people started coming. And, uh, were you just like calling out a key or a chord progression and yeah, pretty much going with it? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, really fun. Yeah. So it started out from a place of, of fun and smiles. And uh, then one day we were like, Hey, let's just start a band. And we, did and we rehearsed for a year straight like before we played any show um which was i think a good move um and i remember sitting down and we had the conversation where it was like so this is what we're gonna do are you guys in because we're gonna do this do this because i mean i was going to school but i wasn't going to school for music I, uh, but we had the conversation, let's go. And here we are. Wow. It was kind of, it was, it's kind of weird to think about looking back on it, honestly. But, uh, it takes a lot I think every time. band needs to have that conversation if you're going to do it. Be like, you ready? Because we're going to do this. There's, this is it. Nothing else. Let's go. And, and luckily, we were young enough. What constituted let's do this what was that like what was that decision about like what we're just gonna go on the road or we're gonna how what what did that like that decision of let's do this because obviously like you said that's a very serious conversation that all band members need to be on board with but what took you from point a to point b um well i mean that was point B was a couple years after point A, obviously. Uh, it was more like, so this is our job, and we're going to, this, you're not going to go work for a bank somewhere, you know. Right, you right. Your MBA, you know, this is, this is it. But, so. The, but so previous to this discussion, were you guys doing tours outside of? No. No. So that that decision was we're going to start touring now, or no? This the, the we're going to start a band and we're going to make this happen. And that takes a lot of guts. Basically, it wasn't that we had not we hadn't played a show really. I mean, we played like two shows. Maybe it was like a year and a half into knowing each other and uh, having the confidence to be able to have that conversation. You just knew that you had you had rehearsed your material and you really thought you had something that could, you know, make you money or, you know, get big. I didn't know that we would get big, but I knew that speaking for me, that I had a really great time doing it and the friendship was there, which is the big pretty much, you know, that's the biggest thing. You right. gotta have that. So that was all there. And uh, yeah, I, I I just I think we all figured like why not like what else are we gonna do? I don't know. 
So how did you you decide you're going to be a band and do this full time? Did you then you didn't have any shows on the books? It sounds like how did you start getting shows? Did you have did you record any uh, was it McGreenery, the first album? and then start promoting that to clubs? Did you start locally and build outwards? Did you get a booking agent? Uh, no, well, we did everything ourselves at first uh, for, a, for a long time. Uh, like I said, we rehearsed, like I said, like for about a year. Uh, and our first show was in Kent, Ohio, which is where I'm from originally, not in Athens. We figured we'd try it out somewhere else other than um, our college town. Um, and it went well, and then we just, Anthony Anthony was really, you know, let's, let's go. And he was basically the, he was reaching out to a lot of people. Um, I knew some people uh, and we just did it that way for like three years maybe and then we got a booking agent uh, and that was you know that's that was that was great we didn't have to hustle to get gigs anymore even though we kind of still did but you know uh, were, were you playing like local clubs like when i was playing i was in a few bands in washington dc and we're mostly playing original music and some of it definitely got into jam band territory. Um, so not the kind of thing that like your typical, you know, bar with party bar wanted, you know, we weren't playing cover songs and, you know, top 40 or nineties yeah. rock, whatever. So, yeah. So we had to play these places where we actually, they'd pay you based on how many people you brought and that sort of thing. So we, you know, it was it was difficult because even your best friends don't want to come see you that often, and so you end up teaming up with other bands to split the bill. Did you right. guys do that kind of thing? Uh, sure. Uh, we we also just played original music the whole time, though. Um, I'm trying to. We never like we we split the bill with local acts, of course. Um, and never really burned any bridges, which is mm -hmm. very, very important. Um, we never, we ne we never played, you know, top forty songs. And I'm not trying to talk shit on that because I, I mean, writing a pop song is, is definitely not easy. I've tried to do it; <laughs> it's hard. Um, uh, but yeah, there was a point. I think that when my friends, like I stopped recognizing people in the audience, you know what I mean? Was when I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. They're not just coming because they're my friend, which was really nice. Um, I still, I, I still don't really believe it. Like I see people out there, I'm like, they're just coming because we're friends or whatever. I don't know. That never really went away. Yeah, it's um, gotta be, it's gotta be nice to, you know, anywhere you go, there are people that come out and they're just like super pumped to. Well, not everywhere. Evening. What are there certain hot? I mean, obviously, I'm sure places like Asheville are, are good for it. But are there certain dead spots in the states? Yeah, Kansas. 
Huh. That makes <laughs> sense. Nebraska. Aaron, it sounds like you've been to Kansas. <laughs> There's a whole lot of corn in Kansas. <laughs> and I'm not trying to talk that much shit on Kansas, but I'll talk a little bit of shit on um, yeah, there's there's dead spots and there's dead spots during the week too. You know, like um, it's nice to have the luxury to be able to say no, we're not going to play Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday in a certain town. But we didn't, you know, we we didn't used to. We've played Monday in uh, Fargo. We've played Tuesday in. Lincoln, Nebraska, you know what I mean? Um, and that's what I was talking about when I said, like, it's great to be able to improvise, for sure, obviously, but playing on Tuesday night in Lincoln, Nebraska, your first time there, no one can teach you how to be able to handle the fact that there's not going to be anybody there, and you're going to have to find a floor to sleep on. Uh, you'll probably make some great friends in the process, but... Uh, you're not going to make any money and it's going to suck, but you're going to get through it. You know what I mean? Hopefully you just enjoy the performance. Yeah, for sure. Hanging out with your friends. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Really. Aaron, which one is, which one of those guitars is your favorite guitar? Probably my Strat. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy that one the most. That's the one I've put the most hours behind. I think that's the only one I've ever seen you perform on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the only one I really trust. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have, I, I have a keyboard that I trust, and I have to have it all the yeah. time. What are, you, uh, what are you playing now? Uh, well, my go-to is an Access Virus TI. Uh, it's just, uh, I, I can load all of my patches on there, no matter... Like if I get a backline one at a festival, uh, just use my computer here and load everything right on there, and it's just—it's like it's the same one that I have. Yeah. Um, gotta have that. If I don't have that, then I'm not playing the show, basically. So, um, I guess I have a question in terms of how do you guys, specifically you and your brother. Um, how do you guys kind of interweave between each other? How, how does that communication go so you guys don't really trample on top of each other? Uh, well, sometimes it doesn't work, the communication. Right. It's really tough. Uh, well, he, but he plays more, uh, you know, piano and uh, Wurlitzer and Rhodes sounds. Okay. So right. I try to stay away from those. All right. Um, are you more like strings and pads and what? Yeah, like that? strings, pads, and leads, and uh, yeah, pretty much. Okay. And and percussive things. Like if we do an acoustic set, he plays piano, I play vibraphone. Okay. That cool. that makes sense. You know, like I vibraphone can have a wonderful background sound or right in the front sound which is how i try to play my synthesizers you know right. i can oh it's time to not do the pad all right then let's go let's make it happen but i'm just kind of there um not backing everyone up all the time but um 
We also have talkback microphones, which is really great. So that we can, I'm like, all right, Sam, uh, I'm going to take, I'm going to take one right now. So okay. chill on uh, B flat, probably. Oh, that's whatever. awesome. You know, that's um, cool. And the crowd can't hear that. Right. Which is great. That was a game changer. Um, but I, I, honestly, at this point, I don't think we would even need that. We, I've done, we've done shows without it, and it's, it's worked out. On average, how many shows a year do you do? Shot, um, shot in the dark. <laughs> right now, probably, let's say 2019, I would say 90. Shot in the dark, 90. I'd okay. Say, I'm really bad at math. So, But those are big. I mean, not all. It doesn't, it actually doesn't sound, I guess to me, it doesn't sound like that many shows, but a Red Rocks performance is worth like <laughs> a lot more than one one show in my book. Yeah, and a lot of gray hairs too. It's it's it's, it's a it's a crazy <laughs> one. But I mean, we used to do you know like two hundred. Yeah, yeah. For, like you know, six years, seven years in a row. Yeah, that's I'd say about ninety. I'm not entirely positive. Okay. Other than um, Red Rocks, what are some of the biggest shows, festivals that you guys are playing this year? Um, well, the biggest one, the one that I, I'm going to preface this by saying, like, you know, we've played a million festivals. Um, I love festivals, but now I like our festival. I like to be able to be comfortable at a festival, give them, you know, a nice sound check. And that's why I like Resonance. Resonance will be the biggest one we play this year for a reason, because we care about it. Like, if you want to book me at your festival, book us at your festival, we'll come play it, but it won't be, won't be the same as uh, something that you have a hand in, you know what I mean? Where is this festival? It was. It used to be in Columbus, Ohio, and now it's it's moved um, to Pennsylvania. Uh, I actually haven't been to the grounds yet. Uh, what part of Pennsylvania? It's like in between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, so it's uh, it's west of Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, so not too far from yeah. Ohio. No, no, no. Not at all. It's a uh, Cooper's Lake is what the new grounds are called. Cooper's Lake. Cooper's is it, Lake. Is it like a big campground or farm or? Yeah. Something? Well, the only thing I know about it is that there. You know what LARPing is? No. Live, live action role playing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not that I've so, ever done it, but I. Right. Well, you don't have to, you don't have to say it on air if you don't want. <laughs> LARPing. I'm not afraid to say it on air. I'm just kidding. Uh, but there's been like a LARPing festival there for like 20 years or something, I guess. Okay. And so in my mind, like they want to be comfortable and like, if you're going to beat the shit out of each other with swords, you know, like you want to be able to do it in nature and, and have a nice cabin and, uh, there's a lake there. So I think I just, I have a, I trust nerds basically is what I'm saying. So. 
and the guys who throw the festival with us have been there and I trust them. Uh, there won't be a, a gravel dance area, which is very important. That there won't be? There will not be, because the place that uh, residence used to be, um, where, where the crowd was, it's just gravel. And that's nothing else that. At least I don't. I don't, know. I don't want, go to festivals that much anymore, but I guess. You want grass? Yeah, dude. Hippies like grass. It's true because if you're barefoot, it's, right. uh, it's a little uncomfortable to dance on on gravel. And you don't want to get a rock stuck in your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Larping stocks. Sure. Larping that cracks me up. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm totally cool with. That. I like love Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings and all that stuff. I've just never actually gone as far as, you know, dressing up. I mean, I haven't either, but I mean, I would, I guess. I'll try anything once. I don't yeah. I don't know if my wife would be happy if I if I did that. If you LARPed? If I LARPed. <laughs> if you told me when you get done with this, you should be like, hey, babe, I'm going to go LARP tonight. I think it's like some weird slang. Like, oh, yeah. I, that's When you first said it, I had no idea what you, what it was. Well, I'm showing my uh, my nerdiness with that. Then, That's so you guys are you guys are teaming up to do this with another set of guys, or so is this something that you guys are putting on, or how's this? How are you? Because you you're putting a lot of emphasis in terms of um, how the resonance is going to be something that you're very proud of, and it's the big one for you guys. Um, is like I said, is this something that you're teaming up with another set of guys to do, or? Yeah, um, the production company is called Essential Productions. They're based out of Cincinnati. Uh, they've been friends of ours for a long time. If you've ever seen us in Cincinnati, that's who put the show on. Uh, we, it's it's really hard to throw a festival as a band, just the band. Mm. And we used to do that. It was called Rootwire, and it was great. It was a magical time. Uh, I think. Uh, it, it helped that we were so young and didn't really care about money and didn't care about anything. But now we have other people who do care about those things. So we can put our creative spin on it and not have to worry about the back end as much, mm. um, which is amazing. And I can't even believe I'm saying that. I don't know if I've said that yet, but it's... Uh, yeah, uh, they they give us luckily some some control over certain things and some control. You know, we don't get all of it, obviously, but uh, we're trying to make festivals eclectic again, um, not have you know. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to you know talk on any festival that is not what i'm trying to do i am just a little bit jaded i've been to every single one and i've played most of them and i just we just kind of want to you know mix it up a little bit again like mix up the the types of music that are being played types of music and the yeah 
for the most part, I would say, yeah. And and again, like, I don't get to choose everything that's there because if I did, no one would come. It would be like me and you. And, <laughs> and that would be great, too, but we wouldn't make any money. It's uh, so fascinating to me because you guys are like the quintessential festival sound in my in my head like are we that yeah i mean to me that kind of like late night uh you know it's you guys play this like space rock jam band it's this electronic fused improvisation music it's like what i imagine a bunch of people like swaying and bobbing their heads to in the woods and then you know at one o'clock in the morning well, then it makes sense that we would have some sort of creative control over a festival. Yeah, but it's right. interesting to me that you guys being the sound that I hear in my head for a festival, you are trying to change that, you know, mix it up. Well, like, I I don't know what you think kind of music I listen to, but, like, I listen to weird stuff, man, you know, like, there's a reason why we we play accessible weird music, I would say. Um, and yeah, I know that we are we do have that sort of sound. Um, there's a reason for that. It's because all of us listen to you know on our own time weird stuff. Uh, but then when it all comes together, it's we try to make it accessible for each other in the band and then accessible for that kid over there who is tripping his balls off for sure and doesn't want to hear some Miles Davis right now. You know what I mean? Like, I dig it. He doesn't want to hear Square Pusher right now because his head will explode, you know? Um, I don't know. It's, uh, and and thank you for saying that we are that, that band that you think of as the, as the late night uh, head bop band. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I love it. I'm, I mean, I listen to, I have an extremely eclectic musical, you know, I, I listen to such a variety of music. I, you know, I'll go from listening to like, I think I was listening to some Hawaiian slack key guitar yesterday on the way to my show. And then I was like, ah, I need to get my voice right. And I put on some like, Darius Rucker for a couple songs, and then I listened to a Papadocio song. I think I listened to some Grant Green. Who's Grant my, Green? Um, he's one of my jazz. favorite jazz guitarists. Oh, you should actually you'd appreciate him because he kind of at the forefront of that. Um, you know when jazz was starting to get more into a, like there was a lot of vamps, you know, like Chameleon that kind of stuff. Like he he played a lot of straight ahead stuff with a very very bluesy edge he's, to it he's got the e355 that's my favorite guitar ever uh 55 or the e, 35 e3 the, whatever the hollow body uh gibson uh, yeah. yeah i actually play so i play oh. a 335 typically oh, it's, it's a great great guitar it's the best dude I love it's so versatile because you can go from like beautiful clean woody sounds to like you know you can put some overdrive on it or effects in it it stands up well in a live show yeah it's perfect it's um, yeah grant green he does if you listen to his new funk in france album a lot of cool jams is he still anyway, alive <laughs> it looks all no, these pictures are old as fun. he's gone sadly okay. oh, oh. 
his R. son R. his son is his son, i don't know if his son's name is grant green jr his son's out there playing good um yeah so i i, I appreciate a huge variety of music and i i know aaron as wide or wider than my <laughs> musical interest range but uh you guys do do a great job with the festival music but when you talk about bringing in other acts are you talking about going you mentioned like listening to weird music do you want to bring in weirder music or are you trying to bring in the whole spectrum from like you're more you know more of a rock band all the way to you know strange strange stuff I would say if if I had my druthers, I would have just just for that one kid who's out in the audience, you know, who's it's his first festival or or whatever. Um, I want him or her to experience the whole gambit of music. Like you're gonna hear some stuff that you don't like. But you're also going to hear some stuff that you really like and you didn't know existed. Like, uh, so at Resonance, there's this band, Black Moth Super Rainbow. Have you listened to no. you know that is? Um, they're playing at Resonance, and it's like, it's kind of like if Brian Wilson took more LSD and did more synth- like more synthesizer work. And then didn't like doesn't do didn't do harmonies as much. Uh, Pet sounds could have gone a whole different way. And I'm not saying like Black Moth sounds like the Beach Boys. I don't know. It's just like '60s psychedelia, but happening now. Um, and some of it is accessible, and some of it is not. But there should be some music that's not accessible. You know, like you should be not forced to listen to it. But it 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 there should be different time signatures. There should be different keys. Mm-hmm. There should be some stuff that makes you question um, whether you like the music or not. Like it shouldn't just be four on the floor the whole time. Um, it it shouldn't just be in you know C major the whole time or, or whatever. Absolutely. Uh, so like. I, and I'm not saying that other festivals or necessarily that Resonance will do that. I'm saying if I had my way, um, I would have, you know, like a, a square pusher set where it's just him. It's not show leader one. It's just square pusher being a weirdo and freaking people out. Like, I like that. I like being backstage and looking at people. Who, <laughs> why? Do I like this? I don't know if I like this. That's that's perfect. I love when that happens. So. I used to lead backpacking trips when I was in college in near Asheville and kind of near Brevard, um, which is where my parents live. Um, so we would go out in the in the woods and the teaching philosophy was always that, you know, everyone's got a green zone of things they're comfortable doing, a yellow zone where they're uncomfortable but not freaked out and then there's like their red zone where they're just like so uncomfortable that it's no longer productive and the idea was that you always wanted to be pushing people into that yellow zone of like it's like clipping on a mixer you want to be 
Yeah, like you definitely don't. You definitely don't want to clip unless that's what you're going for. But yeah, you you want to like. I find I teach a lot. You know, I have 25 students each week, and I try to. I have this like eight page listening guide, and I have the kids listen to different music every week, and you know, I'll, I'll figure out what they tend to like, and then I'll try to push those bounds. But like, if they're into the Almond Brothers, I don't necessarily want to have them listen to like, you know, Miles Davis, but I might have them listen to some, some like later Grant Green or Kenny Burrell, something that's like, you know, different enough that it expands their boundaries, but doesn't like just blow their mind in a bad way. Right. And so then like the next time, you know, a month later, they've been listening to this stuff that they used to be think was crazy and now they're used to it and then i put the miles davis on them. so i do like when when a good music festival like i was down at jazz fest in new orleans that's a whole different story there yeah but i mean there is like there's everything and you just you know you might not be comfortable with something but once you've heard a little bit of it it starts to get in your head and you might be yeah, and even, if, even if you don't like it you listen to it and you know you're exposed it just helps to shape you know who you are as a musician or as a as a music fan you know, it's, yeah it's, it's good there's always something you can learn or take away from from any music any music that's played well like if that the musician cares about yeah i can appreciate have you started using the listening guide aaron do you have your students listen to things um yeah of um, yeah obviously sure as a teacher, that's part of your job. I mean, just kind of exposing students to new stuff. Even what do, you, what do you have them listen to? Oh, it does <laughs> the gambit. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's smooth jazz or metal or if it's jam band stuff or it's just classic rock or classical or... EDM, it doesn't matter. It's kind of taking the student and saying, okay, well, try to listen to it. And, and it's not just a matter of just listening. I'm, I'm, because, I'm a, because I'm an engineer, I try to get them to listen to music a little bit differently and try to pull out different instruments and listen for specific things and kind of do an ear training exercise. Uh, sometimes I'll pull up a Pro Tools file and I'll isolate certain tracks and then I'll pull the whole back, the band back in and just kind of get them to kind of train their ear to focus in on certain aspects of a mix. Yeah. I think that's extremely important that no matter who you are as a, uh, as a musician, that you can kind of train your ear to listen to music and pull certain things out. I mean, it's important to be able to listen to a song overall and have that overall aspect of how the song sounds overall. Well, that's what the mix is. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's, that's a whole different story that I was going to say, I was, I, I see you're in the studio, like how, uh, I know I'm, you're the one supposed to be interviewing me, but I wanted to ask you, yeah. are you able to go to a show and just enjoy it for music's sake? Are you, uh, do you find yourself critiquing the mix? Um, and seeing like, I wonder what, what, uh, plugins he's using on that. Oh, uh, uh, Digico eight. 
Yeah. yeah, I don't go that far. Um, just because in the end, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, it, it all comes down to it. Does it, does it sound good? And is everybody, right. is everybody having a good time? Um, yeah, I, I play both sides. I, I definitely just enjoy listening to the music. I mean, I love going to a concert or, you know, a festival or whatever it is and just kind of sitting back and just absorbing it all. Sure. Uh, but there's also that engineer aspect of it. Maybe a song or a part of a song or whatever. I'll just kind of start thinking about exactly what a, a specific person is doing or how they're getting their sounds or maybe you know maybe the drummer's doing something really cool or maybe the you know guy on keys has got some kind of weird effect and i'm like what the heck is going on so i'll wander up to the front of the stage and yeah kind of try to look exactly what's going on maybe he's going through some filters or something like that i i don't stand next to anyone in the band at shows anymore because i want to enjoy it and if I'm standing next to Anthony or something. Like we'll just be like, I wonder what he's using. Hmm. And I should just enjoy it and shut up. You know what I mean? I don't know. Since we're on that, what you just said about not standing next to anybody, you guys have, I've never seen another band that set up quite like you do in this arc around the mm -hmm. stage. I think it's amazing because it, it seems to set up, the idea that nobody is more important than anybody else because nobody's standing out in front. Um, it's, it's really cool. And the fact that you can kind of look across the, the arc and see other players. How did you guys start doing that? Um, well, I think what you just said, like you can just, everyone can see everybody. Uh, that's very important. Uh, even if you have a talkback mic, uh, it's important. Like eye contact is, you know, is way more important. Because um, I could be playing a wrong note or whatever, and somebody would be like, "Yeah, the evil eye." Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, it, it. I think it just came from being uh, wanting to see everyone. Being able to see, to see our drummer is very, very important, obviously, in any band. Um, also, I don't think any, I don't want to be up front. I don't know. I did. I Back in the, in the day, I used to be up front and, I don't know, I don't know what, I'm not a, I'm not like a, like Eddie Van Halen, you know, like, I don't know. I just want to. I just want to play music and I want people to enjoy it. And uh, I don't have like the, the crowd work, I guess. Like I don't say anything on the microphone, I'll sing, but like I don't, I don't want to talk to the crowd. Uh, I don't look at the crowd. And our bass player, Rob, used to be up front in the middle for a long time. Um, and I don't think he wanted to be up there and I totally get it. Like, like I said, I don't, I don't want to do it either. So, and it's hard to, it was hard to see him too. You know, if he's, if I don't want, he has a nice looking butt and everything, but like, I don't <laughs> want to just look at his ass all the time. I'd rather look at him in the eyes straight this way. Um, so that's where that came from. I think it also is, uh, 
<laughs> it's good like if you're on tour and you have a, a support act to leave some space because I hate being the guy that's like, yeah, I can't move anything. I'm sorry. Because I can't. Yeah. I, I can move a couple things. Um, but I, there's just so many wires involved and so many wires across the stage. Like we're all linked up in certain ways that if one thing were to get unplugged, that's like five minutes at the beginning of the show that somebody has to come up on stage and you know, help us figure out what's going on. And I'm done doing that. Like we did that at, at the one and only time we played Bonnaroo and probably will ever play Bonnaroo. That happened. Like I was on stage. We were on stage for like 20 minutes. And couldn't get oh, that's brutal. Out. It was terrifying um so that's why we don't move it and like you know and i i want to leave room for other musicians that's you know that's part of playing with other people physically if you're playing with them on stage or if they're opening up for you or you're opening up for them there's you leave room for people um, so the the arc helps with that and helps with eye contact sure and helps to keep our our setup intact thanks um, so with your band, I mean, when I listen, I do hear lots of like kind of prog rock influences. You guys are, I was just listening to, uh, Tetios and I listened to some of your, your first album, the McGreenery and some of the newest one. And there's some, you know, there's some s definite similarities from album to album. Um, like you got, you, a lot of times you'll put the, like an old guy from like the, like old uh, talking from the fifties, like talking about like scientific stuff will be like underneath the music, which is pretty cool. But you guys are really good at coming up with these little catchy melodic lines and, and developing those ideas. Um, can you talk about how, you know, when you're writing songs, what's the process you guys go through? Cause it, you know, a lot of these songs don't have vocals. Um, and how has that process changed over the years? Uh, well, I can only, I mean, I can tell you how, how we write a song together, uh, which isn't that, that different from how any band writes a song together, I think. I don't, I've never really been in any other bands, but like, let's say uh, I wrote a song and you and Aaron were uh, members of the band. I would put the bare bones of it down in Ableton Live and record your parts, but not, they don't have to be your parts. This is just a suggestion. Um, and we go from there. Uh, if the song has lyrics, there's more of a structure, um, I think, uh, I know, at least for us. Uh, I Most songs I've written are, are just instrumentals because I, I don't trust myself with lyrics. So you know how that is, with even just writing anything. 
but anyway, yeah, the process is just 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 laying out a pre-recorded uh, Ableton session, basically, and being like, "Here's what I think. I think your your part could go like this. I welcome your input on it because I I don't play bass, but I wrote a bass line. You know, here it is. Take it and, and do what you will. If I think if I think that it's it's not meshing with what I wrote in my in the way that I, I wanted the song to feel and uh, you know then I'll say something but usually I don't have to um, if one of us writes a song that's like this is how it is and this is how it's gonna be usually it has lyrics and there's like there's a, a headspace behind it where I if it's coming from someone else to me, I will respect that and be like, okay, cool, let's do it. And then I'll change it live later on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Not really, but we use this program called Splice. I don't know, do you, are you familiar with Ableton Live? Uh, yeah, I use Ableton. All right, are you on Splice? I'm not on Splice. Um, you, can you can share, right, your yeah. files? just the whole set so like i could send you right now a set and you can see exactly how i've made the song and like what edits i've done oh, just that's really how cool. i'm looking at it on my screen you look at it and then you can save it as something different uh but not really make any changes and then suggest hey i did this take it or leave it so then by the time you get into rehearsal for that song or that album which we've done before uh it's not a surprise obviously we talk about it but it it's it's a it's honestly probably the, the most powerful writing tool that we have it's just to be able to share stuff even though we live in the same town you know space is space but it is right there so you can go eat a cheeseburger after you listen to the song. You can't eat a cheeseburger at a rehearsal. So. I mean, the the idea that you could, you know, you get inspired one night and you could sit there and spend hours figuring out your part and send it over to the other guys. Yeah. You know, working on the session yourself is seems like an efficient way to do it. It's amazing. It's free. Yeah. Yeah. You're not sitting in the studio where everybody's like waiting for you. To... Yeah. I mean, we've never the, the first studio time we ever bought was this past album ever that was the coma what's it content called coma. content coma yeah why, it just why did you guys decide to go to the studio um well we i wanted we all wanted like a real uh studio drum sound i think it's what the underlying like we've we've built drum rooms in the past, right? But there's just you know, that's not my job to record drums. Like somebody gets paid to do that. That is their specialty. And so we, I wanted we all kind of wanted to experience that for the first time. And I think it even worked out really well. Uh, it, yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, if you listen to the drums on that, uh, and then listen, well, Magarinery, we shouldn't 
talk about in the green room. I can't believe you listened to that. I, re- I really liked it. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing at all. But uh, <laughs> but if you listen to even Tetio's, the drums on Tetio's, we built a drum room for you know, bought microphones. Uh, everything we've ever recorded is always on Ableton, even the content. And we just mixed it ourselves. Send it off for mastering because if you master your own stuff, what are you doing? Hey, we just had uh, Chris Graham of Chris Graham Mastering was on. Right. It's episode 50, um, talking about mastering. If, if any of our listeners out there want to learn more about mastering or why they should master their songs, uh, he has some great information. Yeah, send it off to Chris Graham or Anthony Thogmartin. Well, there you go. Anthony is a. And, you know, I trust him to master our songs, but you can't master your own songs. Like, it's, you have to have somebody else. And that's another reason why we went in the studio, right? is to have someone else's input. Hmm. Uh, even if you don't go with what they're uh, suggesting, it's good to just have other voices in your conversation, I think. And that is where we're going to leave it for today. Join us next Thursday as we get into part two with Billy Browse of the band Papadozio. As usual, if you are enjoying what you're hearing, hit that subscribe button, pop on over to iTunes, give us a review, support us on Patreon, and head on over to YouTube. We only need a couple more to hit 100 subscribers. Woohoo! Uh, so if you haven't subscribed over at YouTube, go ahead and do so. Uh, we would really appreciate it. Lastly, I want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening. That's, that's in itself is awesome. <laughs> you are awesome. Um, you know, music is extremely special to all of us. And it's, it's crazy in terms of, we, you know, we get to listen to all of these professionals' lives and peer into their decisions and their craft and understand how passionate they are about what they do. And that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool to be able to hear all these people's musical journeys. That's awesome. So I I hope you find this valuable. I know I do. And I'm just genuinely happy that, that, that you're listening. Thank you. So that's where we're going to end it. Join us next Thursday for part two with Billy Browse of the band Papadozio on Fret Buzz, the podcast. <laughs>